0: Good morning, Village Church East. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, belated. Uh, Hopefully you all have digested your turkey very well by now, or multiple turkeys and leftovers, right? Uh, I just want to say I love that song, uh, just because it goes so well with our series that we're doing, but also because I think on that day when we get to see Jesus face-to-face and join our... Can you imagine what it's going to be like for them to finally get to to see all of us and for us to see all of them and i mean there's gonna be thousands and thousands of people on that day and just lifting up our voices and praising jesus christ and all because of what he has done to give us this promise of resurrection um that song gets me every time so thank you for including that worship team i'm grateful for that i want to give you without letting cat too far out of the bag uh, Actually, that's a really weird thing to say, isn't it? Uh, but it's a weird euphemism, but um, without letting the cat too far out of the bag, the last song we're going to sing today is just a kicker song, and I can't wait to get there. So we, um, I'm going to build up to it and hopefully uh, do a good job, and then we're going to just lift our voices in praise. This is the last message that we're doing for Heaven and Hell series, and today we get to talk about what we're going to be doing for eternity. All right, all the harp courses that we're going to learn how to how to do, and all of those things. So we're going to get to talk about what we're going to be doing for eternity. But before we do that, let me just give you a couple of things because we're entering into our Advent season. Next Sunday, you'll see everything here transformed. Uh, and we're, we're going to, uh, we have our candle lit for today, but uh, we're going to move into our Advent season. Uh, mainly uh, next week, we're going to be doing a series called Fear Not. I think it's very apropos for our world today. Uh, and so we're going to be doing a whole series uh, over the Christmas season called Fear Not. On Christmas Eve, we're going to be doing meeting here just like every Sunday. But on Christmas Eve, we're going to be joining with Alliance Bible Church, and uh, I want you to just plan on that three o'clock service. We have an earlier service planned for us. Uh, we're going to have treats for the kids. We're going to have uh, songs, a candlelight service. We're going to be singing Christmas songs. Uh, I'm going to be bringing a message on that Sunday, uh, uh, our final one in the Fear Not series. It's going to be a lot of a lot of worship, a lot of fun, and we're going to get to join with one of our churches. Uh, that that we do sermon prep with on a regular basis as we go through our series together. So Alliance Bible Church, put it on your calendars, 3 o'clock Christmas Eve. I don't want you to to miss that. I know it wasn't in our announcements earlier, but uh, I want you to plan ahead for that. And then the last Sunday of, of, or I'm sorry, the first Sunday of the new year, uh, we also have something on our calendars as well that I just want to let you know about. Uh, We are going to actually join again with Alliance Bible Church on that Sunday and do a normal worship time with them at their facility. So we're going to enter into the new year uh, with um, Alliance, uh, which is in Bartlett, not far from here, and uh, that'll give us a chance to, to just uh, join our voices together with theirs and, and enter into the new year with a big voice. And so we're excited about that as well. So we got a lot of things uh, coming up and, and planned for you. If I didn't introduce myself yet, I'm Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. And it is great to see you all here this morning for our, our, uh, our, our ending of this message and then moving into our Advent season. All right, you want, you want to talk about what we're going to be doing in the new, new earth? All eternity. What will you be doing for all eternity? Let me read you uh, these lyrics. Tell me if you recognize these lyrics. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people... Living for today. Anyone know that one? Uh, there you go, all right. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope, I hope someday you'll join us and the world will. Live as one, that's right, yeah. Is it be as one? Yes, be as one, that's right. John Lennon wrote Imagine in one session. He sat down uh, at his great white piano in his Tintin Tirst Park estate in England in 1971, month of May. It was his first smash single, I don't know if you know that or not, but his first smash single written and shot to the charts, top of the charts by the end of the year that song has become so popular you know it today uh so popular It's been sung by liza Manilli, stevie wonder neil young lady gaga like this is a real popular and it keeps on being a popular song bono said it was the reason that he started his career <laughs> that he that he kept on going in his career interesting elvis costello actually uh, a lifelong friend of a uh, lifelong fan of lenin even included it to his lyrics called The Other Side of Summer, in which he sang, wasn't it a millionaire who said, imagine no possessions? <laughs> it's kind of, kind of funny, a little knock there, but it was written by a man who actually owned a, a custom-painted Rolls-Royce that he never ended up driving, so it's, it's kind, of, kind of ironic. Some accuse Lennon of being communistic in his beliefs because of the song, but I don't think that was the case. I think what he was writing for is I think he wasn't necessarily laying out a blueprint for peace. I think he was looking. I think he was looking for utopia in this world, and the only way to find it was to convince folks, or to, or, or to challenge folks with, uh, with uh, abstaining from their need for all of these possessions. I think it was an individual call, call to a personal abolition of what we cling to most fiercely. So I, I don't. I don't know if it was necessarily communistic, but. It is interesting. His view of utopia was no borders, no boundaries, no nations, no, no possessions. Our world could easily get lost in what true peace looks like. If you were to ask somebody in the world, hey, what would a utopia look like on this planet? What would a world of peace look like on this planet? What, what would be on the planet? I think today you'd come up with some interesting answers Personal utopia these days, according to our modern culture, seems to have no need for walls or gates or nations or borders. That seems to be a normal call for our, for if we're to progress in our understanding of, of bringing peace, world peace to this world or a utopian society to this world, we would need to knock down all of those boundaries. No religion, of course, no antiquated beliefs and consequences for evil, certainly no heaven, no hell. Certainly, no language barriers, no nations, no countries, no walls, no gates, no divisions of any kind. Certainly, no rulers, because rulers are bad. No possessions, no personal ownership. I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think that is kind of the mantra of our modern-day culture for what 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 incorporates a peaceful utopia, I, 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 what we're what we're aiming at. In other words, I wonder if the world speaks this way, or if they would be shocked to know how the Bible speaks about a utopian society or an eternal society of peace. Christians, you know, we also imagine about what what this day is going to look like. Uh, There's actually a song that that came out that includes these words, Will I dance in his presence or to my knees will I fall? Right. So, you know, we imagine, like, what is this day going to be? Books are written about it. Uh, I wonder if, like, what is heaven going to be like? What is the eternal kingdom going to be like? I wonder if God follows John Lennon's lead. Don't you? Like, does it mean no nations, no borders, no possessions? Is that what God's definition of a perfect society, of an eternal kingdom is going to look like? Now, I want you to know the Bible says a lot about what the eternal kingdom is going to be like and what we're going to be doing there. And so I, I want to, first of all, say to you right away, I have done, I, I think, a lot of personal introspection to try and rid myself of anything that might be my opinion. And I tried to look only at scripture for my cue as to what we're going to be doing in the new kingdom. What's going to look like? What's going to be here? How we're going to be, how we're going to relate to one another? and to the world around us so i don't want to imagine imagine all the people i don't want to imagine at all i want to talk about what we know that god has written down in his word so that we can actually understand what this eternal kingdom is going to be like i wonder if you would be surprised if all of these things were included in the bible There will be plots of land, walls, gates, houses, vineyards, land to work, kings, rulers over nations, wealth that's celebrated and shared, geographical divisions of the earth. There will even be buying and selling. This is your destiny, (laughs) Obi-Wan. This is what the earth will be like and incorporate in the end times. And I want you to know, it's also interesting to note that it is the ploy of the Antichrist to not have any rulers, any nations, any walls, any gates, but one world that, that lives in peace. No personal property over anything else. One ruler, of course, will be the Antichrist. It is interesting that his definition, that the Bible says he's going to bring with his, uh, with his philosophy, His definition is anti-Christ, anti-Christ, anti-Christ philosophy of what the new earth will look like. Well, we can dream about what we're going to be doing for eternity, but I want to tell you the things I want to talk about this morning are the things that we're not dreaming about, the things that were actually in scripture that we can look at and we can say, this is what we're going to be doing in the end times. If you're wondering kind of like a template to follow, a good template is everything starts... As God intends for it to continue. So if you want to know what we're going to be doing in the new kingdom, look at the beginning. What were Adam and Eve doing? A lot of the things that they were were doing in the beginning and commanded to do are the exact same things that we're going to be doing into creation. Adam was given stuff to do. Adam was given work that he had to do. We will be given stuff to do. We will be given work that we will have to do. Adam was given oversight of the earth around him we will be given oversight of the earth around us it's very interesting how the way we started is the same way that we finish we will reign we will rule we will colonize we will live lives like this for eternity be careful though of taking all our negative influences of this experience of life that we have now and inserting them into the end times. For instance, if you don't like to work, you probably don't like me hearing hearing me say, we're going to be working for all eternity, right? You're just like, ah, I just want my pillow, uh, my pillow and I'm going to just crawl up or I'm going to go fish or play golf for all eternity, whatever it is. But I got to tell you, we weren't created that way. The, one of the reasons we hate to work is because creation. part of the fall was creation works against us. Relationships work against us. The, the reason we get frustrated doing work, the reason we get frustrated in relationships is because of the fall. All of that will be removed. We will find satisfaction in both our work and our relationships because sin will be removed. The world will work for you and not against you. And relationships will work for you and not against. Imagine this. I mean, you will find joy and satisfaction in every single job you do. I mean, you plant a tomato, it's going to turn out really well. You, you 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 mow your lawn, you're not going to get weeds. Literally, you're not going to get weeds. Right? And you're not dumping chemicals that end up in the storm sewage and give some kid down the street cancer. You're not going to get any, we're not going to need any, any chemicals. All of that stuff is going to be removed. The world will work for us and not against us. Part of the fall was that the world, God said, is now going to work against you, Adam. What you do, you're going to get frustrated at doing because the world works against you. And that same thing passes on to relationships. You know this because as soon as Adam fell well Eve sinned first but as soon as Eve sinned God said to Eve Eve what did you do <laughs> or no Adam it goes to Adam first right Adam what did you do and Adam says it was the woman's fault right the wo- actually he said the woman you gave me you know so it's kind of like it's your fault God and then and God said well it's not my fault I didn't do I gave you the woman what did-? so then he looks at Eve and Eve says it's not my fault it's the it's the serpent's fault. And so the blame is passed, and then, and then they make clothing for themselves and they block themselves from one another. And relationships from the beginning, because of sin, are, are strained. Do you have a hard time having relationships? Well, now you know why. But in the end, when all is made right, sin is removed, relationships will be a breeze. Perfect fellowship with God, no temptations, no shame, no hiding flaws and foibles or or sin any longer. This perfect fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with one another, perfect fellowship with the angels. All of these things that bring barriers into our lives will be removed. Now, I've given you a, a, a bunch to start with, and that's in case you doze off, all right? So now you know everything that's coming. But now I want to give you all of these verses And they're all throughout Scripture that tell us what we are going to be doing and experiencing in the new kingdom together. When when Jesus raises his people from the dead, when we see him and we will be like him, for we will know him as he is, when the spirits that are in heaven now are reunited with the bodies that have died, when all of that happens and we live on this new earth, and if you're just catching up with us, I don't have time to cover all that, but you can watch in the last couple of sessions together, Here is what we're going to be doing when we receive our bodies back. Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. How many of you have had a feast of rich food this past week? Well, you're going to have a lot more of that to come. A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. One of my favorite passages is in Ezekiel 47. It says there's going to be many fruit trees that bear tons of fruit, and there are going to be rivers full of fish. Did you know that? I had to dig to find that one, but I thought it's got to be in here somewhere because fishing is a God thing. So I, I, And I found it, rivers full of fish. Some of these verses, by the way, are more familiar to us than others. We get into the Advent season. There's one that you know of in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. Of the increase of his government there shall be what, church? No end. This is the eternal kingdom. This is when that is made sight Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Promise that forevermore Jesus will reign and that reign will never stop. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There will be an eternal government in the new earth over which Jesus rules for all eternity. Now, I have to, have to uh, back up a little bit and just tell you that in the Old Testament, the writers of the Old Testament sometimes would look for God would give them a picture, a prophecy of what's to come. All of those prophecies, by the way, have never been uh, uh, misproven. They have all come to pass. In fact, this is why Jesus constantly said when Jesus shows up, he says, haven't you read? Or it is written. Because Jesus is saying all those prophecies that the Old Testament wrote about are coming true now. They're coming to pass. When those Old Testament prophets saw into the future and God allowed them to have these prophecies, they would write about them, but sometimes they wouldn't see the in-between moments. So imagine yourself on a, on a big um, uh, mountain range, and you could see one mountain and then you see the mountain behind it. And then you might see a mountain even behind that, way in the distance. So you're thinking to yourself, I wonder how far that is. And you don't know because you don't know what's between the mountains. Sometimes the valleys between the mountains are really, really far. Sometimes they're short. But it's hard to tell when you're looking this way over a mountain range exactly what's between those mountains. When the Old Testament writers prophesied about what was coming in the future, God would give them glimpses of the mountaintops, but they wouldn't see a lot of times what's between So when the Old Testament writers wrote about the coming of Jesus, for instance, in Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government, there will be no end, they thought when Jesus was born, they saw a mountaintop, that he will reign forever. They saw the next mountaintop. They didn't understand that in between those two mountaintops were us. We're we're the in-between spots. When Jesus came and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, he said, the messiah would come and he would he would he would heal the lame and he would uh, heal the sick and he would give sight to the blind and he said today this is this is fulfilled in your ears what he was saying is we're in the in between time i the writers of the old testament they saw the messiah coming and ruling for all eternity they didn't realize he was going to be born of a, like a baby he was going to live in a, a a life he was going to die on a cross and then there'd be like 2000 years between that moment and 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 maybe the time that he would reign into eternity. So sometimes when we look at the Old Testament, we have to understand that's what we're seeing. But when they wrote about the end times and they saw that mountain way in the distance, those prophecies still apply. They are seeing how we are going to live under the reign of Jesus Christ, even though they don't cover every detail in between. But the writers of the New Testament... They understood they're in a valley, in between the mountain peaks. And so when they talk about the end times, it is very interesting, and this is very important. They looked at these Old Testament prophets, the prophecies, and they understood them better because they understood that was a mountaintop, what that prophecy was, and we're in the in-between time, and there's a mountaintop to come. So they quote a lot of Old Testament passages so we can understand them a little bit better. So, I take you to Revelation 21. This is John on the island of Patmos, is given an, of, a glimpse as to what the eternal kingdom looks like. Now, John is expelled because of his preaching of the gospel. He's put on the island of Patmos because the government wants him to shut up, stop talking about the gospel. So, put him on an, on an isolated island so he, all he gets to preach to is the rocks. So he puts them there. What they didn't know is this was in the plan of God to give him a glimpse of the end times, of what life was like in the kingdom so that he could pass that on to us. And he knows all these Old Testament prophecies and he clicks them together and he says, here's what's coming. So I read to you from Revelation 21 verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Now keep in mind, this is not a brand new heaven like you're getting a new car. This is not like ditching your old car so you can drive a brand new car. This is more like a renovation, a a rebuilding. All of sin will be burned off and there will be a new heavens, sky above, and a new earth. Earth below. Not... Re, uh, not, re, not, not brand new, but reinvented, redeemed, and restored. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city. I believe this holy city, by the way, is heaven. I believe heaven will become... I can't prove this, so I shouldn't say it, but I believe heaven will become a concrete thing and will descend to the earth. I believe that's what the new Jerusalem is going to be. Most theologians believe that as well. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their own as their God. Now, I want you to understand, this is the plan of God. The plan of God was never for us to go to him. The plan of God was always for him to come to us. Now, let that sit for a second because that tells you a little bit about the the heart of our God. We know this because in the garden, did Adam and Eve go to be with God or did God come to be with them? God came to walk with them in the garden. That would have been pretty cool to walk with God in the garden. In the tabernacle... God descended to the tabernacle so that people could know his presence was there in the cloud and the fire. We talked about this in our last session together. In the incarnation, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God comes to us in the form of Jesus. Why? Because we don't understand who God is. So God says, I'll give you a picture. You obviously work better with, with uh, emojis and pictures, so I give you a picture. Here's what Jesus, here's what. God looks like. In fact, uh, Thomas said, Jesus, you know, if you show us God, we'd all just believe it'd be good like that. And, and, and Jesus says to Thomas, have I been with you so long and you, I, I, right in front of you and you still want me to show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. God with us. And you need to know at the end times, the purpose of God is always to be with us. We don't go to where he is. He comes to where we are. And where are we? Right here. When this earth is remade, God comes to us for all eternity. I think that's pretty cool. Death is a disruption of this plan. So we got heaven, where we're separated for a little while, but one day all those things will be turned physical again, and it'll be a physical place we live in. Verse 4. We sang this in our songs this morning. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Ugh that'd be a good day neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away please understand former things is not like trees and rivers and fish <laughs> former things are all the stuff that's been tainted by sin that's why it's tears are wiped away mourning crying pain all gone those things are brought to us because of sin all that things, stuff is gone Former things are not kings and nations, ownership and commerce. Former things are things tainted by sin. God. Verse 23. And the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God will be enough to dispel any shadow of darkness. There won't be any need for fear of the night any, anymore. Now, while the Bible says there won't be any need for the sun or the moon, it doesn't say that there won't be a sun or moon i think there will be a sun and moon why because it was pre-fall god created the sun and moon they declare his wonders according to psalm and even though they're not needed to bring light they still are needed for various different things one of which is photosynthesis and we know that there's going to be trees that are bringing forth fruit i'm guessing the sun is probably useful for that revelation 22 2 says this in the middle of the streets of the city also On either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, listen to this, yielding its fruit in each month. What do you need to tell time? You need the sun. I think the sun will be there. Leaves of the the tree were for the healing of nations. So, again, not sure the sun's going to be there. All I know is that it's not going to be needed. But I know there will be a passing of time, and there will be trees bringing forth fruit. Verse 24. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will be bring their glory into it. This is not the light of the sun. Now this is the light of the son of God. The glory of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says here. By its light the who will walk? Will there be nations in the new earth? Yes. There will be nations. Interesting. And the who, the Kings of the earth will be. Will there be kings in the new earth? Yes. Crazy, right? All you have to do is read it. There will be nations. There will be kings. Divisions of land that mark out boundaries. All these nations will worship Jesus. There will be cities. There will be at least a city. The city, of the new Jerusalem. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, "But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a." City, there's going to be cities, nations. There's going to be boundaries. There's going to be kings. All of these things. There will be homes. There will be dwelling places. Remember John 14. If I go I go to prepare a, a place for you, and if I go to I come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Luke 16, 9 calls these eternal dwellings. Does it mean it's a house or a mansion or a stable? I don't know. Does it mean it's a hole in the rock? I don't know. Will we have to sleep? I don't know. That's all speculation. All I know is there's going to be nations and boundaries and kings and rulers in the new earth. Look at verse 24. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Rulers will be there. In Daniel 7, the kingdoms of this world will be handed over to Jesus Christ and there will be kingdoms in the new earth. Revelation 5.10 says the people of the earth will all worship Jesus and reign in the new earth. So what do kings do? Kings rule. Somehow people are going to be doing king stuff in the new earth. There's going to be rulers of some kind under the regulation and authority of Jesus Christ. They'll be responsible for people or for, or for property. There's going to be responsibility here. Uh, Albert Walters says this, humankind which has botched its original mandate is given another chance in Christ we are reinstated as God's managers on the earth. The original good creation will be restored. This is a God thing. Adam and Eve were created at the beginning and then God created the world around them and then God said, "Now take care of it." It's our in our DNA to actually be responsible for things. This is why God gives us children. All right? He doesn't give the government children. No, they're They don't do a good job at much of anything. He gives people, children, because we are called to be responsible for certain things in our lives. This is a God thing. And some of us will end up being rulers over plots of land. Now, (laughs) I don't know how that's chosen. (laughs) I don't know if you're going to be ruler over a plot of land or not. I don't know this. But I know that's true because Jesus, when he talked to his own disciples, said in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said unto them, Truly I say to you, in the new world where the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, so this is the eternal kingdom, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So at least we know the disciples are going to have this ruler ability, capability, and responsibility in the new earth. Look at verse 25 in Revelation again. And its gates will never be shut by day. What will there be in the new kingdom, church? Gates. And what do you need to hold gates up? You need walls, there's going to be gates and walls in the new kingdom. Its gates will never be shut by day. Now, I don't know why you have a gate that never shuts. I don't understand that. That I I don't get. But I do know there's going to be gates and there's going to be walls. In fact, it it says later on, and I don't have the time to talk about all of these passages, but there's going to be a gate that's made out of a solid pearl. That's why we call them the pearly gates. That's where that comes from. Why no walls? Uh, I'm sorry, why walls? Why gates that never close? I don't know but I do know this, God doesn't fear boundaries. Did God tell them not to eat from the tree before they fell or after they fell? Before they fell. God created a boundary for Adam and Eve that was good for them in a pre-fallen world. All I know is this, boundaries are a God thing. And sometimes, most of the time, they work for our benefit. We don't like them. (laughs) I just want to be free. We don't like boundaries, but... They're good for us. They're a God thing. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations. Now, here's, this is going to blow you away a little bit. This is the idea of bringing glory and honor of nations. This means that whatever is created in this nation, this plot of land that these rulers rule over, will be brought into the presence of God, and it will be, they will be proud of what they do, and they will lay it at God's feet. It will be a tribute to, to Jesus Christ. In other words, there will be growing and there will be some sort of commerce that goes on in this new world. In verse 24 and verse 26, it talks about them bringing their glory or what they've created into the presence of God. Something of value to offer God. This is a direct reference, by the way, to one of the Old Testament prophecies. Now, the Old Testament, remember, they're seeing the mountaintops, but they still write about the details of this far-off mountain in the distance. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 60. Listen to this. All nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like revelation, right? John is pulling on Isaiah's prophecy to explain it a little more to us. Verse 4, lift up your eyes and all around and see. They all gather. They all come to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. In other words, whatever they create will be worth something, and that will be brought into God's presence the best that they have to give god from what they've produced from the earth john is pulling some of these old testament prophecies into his description of the eternal kingdom isaiah goes on more to talk about in verse uh, 21 of chapter 65 it says they shall build houses and inhabit them they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit church you're going to have a house of some kind And you might have a vineyard. I've always wanted to have a vineyard. Have you ever just sat in a vineyard? It is so peaceful. They shall have vineyards of some kind, and they will eat the fruit from these vineyards. Verse 22. They shall, listen, this is going to shock you. They shall not build, and another inhabit. They shall not plant, and another eat. Let that sink in for a second. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and his chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. What does that mean? That means that whatever you grow, whatever you build is yours. There is ownership in the new earth. Now, does that blow you away? Because I don't know about you, but again, sin affects everything that is good, right? It's not bad to have ownership. What's bad is when you want what they have. And politicians will get elected based on what they think you should have that somebody else has. They play to your selfishness. God does not. God says, what I give you is yours. Enjoy it. It's yours. Enjoy it. There will be some kind of ownership in the new kingdom. And they will be our own. And we will want to share them. There won't be any selfishness. It'll be, it'll be like, sure, you want the best grapes? Sure, come on over Saturday night. We'll have some grapes together, whatever. We share what we have. I love it. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Whatever you make, whatever you build, you get to enjoy for all eternity. We will work. When we get to the new earth, curse is lifted. The earth will work for us. It will bring us its best. It will not work against us. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 60. This is going to blow you away. Verse 6 They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of our Lord. You know what else we're going to bring to the king? What else we're going to bring into the presence of Jesus? What else we're going to bring of honor that's ours and and glory that we're going to be bringing? We're going to bring in gold. Where does gold come from? The earth. There's going to be mining of some kind. We're going to have to dig to find it. And it might be on your land, it might be on my land. You find a nugget on my land, you can have it, it's all yours. Because I, I got a house made of gold, what do I want more gold for, right? There's a pearly gate right outside my window. Apparently there'll be some kind of mining, but it won't be out of greed or selfishness. We have a tendency to, to look at these end times and think to ourselves, that sounds really bad because it's wealth and possessions and and stuff that's, that belongs to its ownership, and that doesn't sound right at all. It only doesn't sound right because we mess that stuff up. It was never intended to be that way. There will be a purpose in our work, finally. And the purpose will be to make things, to grow things, to create something that we can bring into God's presence and we can say thank you for allowing us to do this for all eternity. Isaiah 65, 21 tells us a little bit more. There's a lot more, but these are only the ones that I thought are pretty cool that we could share this morning. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Wolves and lambs, do they get along well? Every nursery story you've ever heard, wolves and lambs, do they get along well? No, they're going to be grazing together in the new earth. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy all in my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the passage That makes me the most sad why no steak no prime rib but I got to think that we make a tofu that is pretty close to it right we're gonna have all eternity to figure out how to do it I think we're gonna do a good job of it right verse 27 nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those whose written names are written in the Lamb's book of life you know what that says church it's going to be membership. You've got to belong to the Lamb to live in this place. John pulls us directly out of Isaiah. Verse 27 of Isaiah 60, John pulls into Revelation 20, verse 15. He says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, you, you, this if there's one thing that compels me out of this series, it is to remind you we are, in the, we are in the business of bringing more people into the kingdom of God. This is why we're still here. God loves you enough to save you and take you right home. He would love for you to, I would love to see my dad again, right? This is, we, we're made for relationships, but the reason we're still here is because we're still on mission. It's not over yet. What Jesus started, he's given to us, and that is to redeem the fallen world in which we live and to maybe bring a few souls with us. That is the only purpose in life because nothing in this place will enter it that's unclean or sinful never, never, never again. The bottom line is the activities of the millennial kingdom will be the activities of the new earth. The activities that we will be doing in this new earth will be activities, a lot of stuff that we're doing now. We just won't be messing them up. Don't be confused about the new earth, and don't let let others lead you astray. Listen, God is creating a world for us to live in that will have families, that will have ownership, that will have rulers, all of these things. They will have vineyards and plots of land. We will have wealth. There will be commerce. There will be buying and selling. There will be work, and there will be worship. All of these things, but with no sin. Not a chance. You couldn't sin here if you wanted to. This is the language that is used to describe our eternal destination with Jesus Christ. Daniel 7.27 says it this way, The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. His dominions shall serve and obey him. In other words, everything you see on this planet will be given to us, to the saints, to the followers of Jesus Christ. And we, under his rule, we will have relationships, responsibilities, buying, selling, joy, worship, all of those things. So what? I have two for you today. First one is live here like you're living there. Live here now like you are going to live there later. Redemption story begins here. This is when Jesus reaches down and grabs us out of sin and gives us purpose and hope. Redemption begins here and now. We're not saved in this life to endure it until we get to heaven someday. I've heard a lot of pastors talk about, you know, we're just passing through. No, you're not. You're not passing through. You are here on purpose. Passing through means you're just grabbing a bag and you're just spending a little bit of time and you're moving on, and there's no relationships. There's no need to build relationships. There's no investment. That is not why we're here. We are here so that we can do a little bit of kingdom life here. So when people look at our lives, they go, Man, I don't understand why you're so honest. I don't understand why you're so forgiving. I don't understand why you're so gracious. I don't understand why you're so generous. Come on, we live in this world that's plagued by sin. Grab a little for yourself. Eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow you're dead. Have fun. No, we we live like we're living in the kingdom now. Why? So that we can be a light in the darkness. Everything we see around us is tainted by sin. Our goal is to redeem the stuff around us now. Part of the gospel story is why everything you do in this life matters. What we, what we do now is what we say we're going to be doing in the eternal kingdom and in, in the end times. Everything we do there will be an extension of the gracious God that we serve, and we will worship him because of all the stuff we are able to do. That is life now. We live now as we intend to live there later. We go to work when we're wronged by others when we're frustrated by how creation fights against us, when we change diapers, care for our family, offer time to love our neighbors, go to church and gather with God's family to worship, drive our car, visit the dentist, choose schools for our kids. When we do all of these things, we do them all to the glory of God. Why? Because we live here now as if we're living there later. We live kingdom life now. First Corinthians 10 31 says it this way. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do you know why it says eat and drink? and not like something else like start your car or drive down a highway or, or uh, go to work at your job. You know why it says eat or drink? It says eat or drink because you have to eat or drink every day. The most mundane parts of your life are meant to be done to the glory of God. Think of the things that exist simply because of sin. Door locks, airbags, police, prisons, orphanages, weapons manufacturers, Those will all be gone. There won't be a need for any of those things. Sin is so interwoven into the the fabric of our lives that we can't even imagine what life is going to be like without that sin present. It'll be an amazing place. All of these things hinder our ability to have a full life here. But someday all those things will be gone. And we will be free to live out our final redemption in Jesus Christ. And you can visit Jesus anytime you want to. Won't that be cool? Jesus, by the way, is in one place at one time, right? I mean, he's the physical the physical reality of the Godhead. The Spirit lives in all of us. He's he's everywhere. Jesus is one. You go see Jesus, you're going to see a person. You can visit him anytime you want to. Knock on his door. I don't know what kind of a house he's going to be living in, but you can go visit. Let's go see Jesus today. Okay, let's go check him. That's <laughs> We'll take them a little something today. A little, little fruit from the vine. Our lives now reflect what we believe our final redemption is going to be look like. Listen, we are to bring a little bit of kingdom life here today. We are ambassadors in this fallen world for what the new world is going to be like. And as the and deepens in this, new, in this old world, our distinct beliefs will stand out more. It's like... There won't be a chance of this, but it's like sin in the new world will stand out like a sore thumb. You'll be going, that that shouldn't be here. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. In the new world, there won't be any sin. That's like the antithesis of what, if you feel like you're treated like that here today, now you understand. Because people in the darkness look at the light and they go, that shouldn't be here. I don't understand that. That doesn't fit. It's the antithesis of the kingdom to come. This is what jesus prayed for you know this because this is what he prayed for in the lord's prayer thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven church we are to make god's will done in our lives this is to answer the prayer of jesus christ everything you do in this life matters it's a shadow of the earth, the life we will live there Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do you get an idea of the new kingdom here? Whatever you're doing is for Jesus. Whatever you do, work heartily. Do it good. Do it heartily as for the Lord. You're not doing it for men. You're not doing it for your boss. You're not doing it so you don't get caught at work. You're not doing it so you don't get written up. You're working as if Jesus was right there and you're giving this work to him. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving God. Church, say it with me because it's so good. You are serving, you're serving the Lord Christ. You may hate your job. Welcome to a fallen world. You may hate your boss. Welcome to a fallen world. You may hate the fact that everything works against you and you get home at the end of the day and it's like, I am just so frustrated with everything that happened today. Welcome to a fallen world. One day that will not be the case. And live here now as though you're living out those principles over there then. This, by the way, is why we should get involved in every part of life. It hurts me to say this, but we should get involved in uh, politics. We should get involved in um, our, our, our societies, our culture around us. We should get involved in as many things as we can. Get involved with medicine, prescription drugs. Redeem this culture to bring healing and hope to a fallen world. Get involved with education. Get involved with the arts. Redeem the areas that we can to preserve truth and light in all these different areas. Get involved with science. Get involved with technology. Redeem this world to make it a better place. We are building a little bit of kingdom ethic in a fallen world. So Christians should do the best with what they have because they're working for the Lord, not for humans. Redeem this world around us. Always look to do better, to make something better. Do you know a grain of sand is worthless? It's been worthless through all of human history. Let me tell you a little story about a grain of sand. Early on, people would use sand for packing, for weighing out measurements that they were selling or buying. They would use them for playgrounds. Later in history, they would use them for cement. You could use grains of sand to make cement. You could keep time for your calendars, use them in a a sand glass. Sand could be used for a bunch of different things. Eventually, we learned to make glass out of sand. Sometimes we learned to create highways using sand. Last century, last century was a big sand breakthrough. Last century, we filtered clean water through sand. We extracted gas and oil so that we could run our, our machines with sand. Sand is used to power computers that keep cities lit up. Sand is used to make computers. Every computer you have has sand in it. Did you know that? Sand has been taken from the beach, this worthless worthless thing that you walk on, and now every time you look at your tablet and read God's Word, you're looking into sand. Silicon is sand. Silicon Valley, you've heard of that? Sand Valley. Silicon is a result of sand. The microchips in your computer are made from silicon, which is sand. You are reading God's word on your tablet because you are using sand. Now, that's what we've done with sand so far. Can you imagine a thousand more years? Can you imagine a million years? What can we do with sand? This is the most, this is a great illustration to to, to show you how, when we work, we work for the Lord. We do our best with what we have because what we, what we use for resources to better society is the way that we worship God. And that is what we're going to be doing for all eternity. Whatever you do in this creation and around you, you do to the glory of God. Enjoy it. Do your best at it because you'll be doing it for all eternity. Can you imagine how good Picasso would be if he had all eternity to improve? <laughs> Number two, remember, redemption is the restoration of all things. What does that mean? Redemption reaches all areas of creation. It reaches just as far as the fall. Nothing good is ever lost that God made. All will be made right again. Every joy will be turned to, uh, every joy that has been changed by sorrow will be given back. Every peace that's crushed in turmoil will be made new. Every life that has been turned to dust will be redeemed it'll all be made new redemption includes restoration all will be made as it should have been from the beginning from the beginning restoration means God gets it all back Abraham Kuyper said it this way there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not cry mine and he gets it all back Languages, arts, science, literature, the division of our worlds and the diversity of our worlds, the, the relationships forged under worshiping God, all things that are good and perfect will be made excellent and be made new, with no sin interrupting it ever again. Jesus Christ died on this cross so he could redeem the whole cosmos. Romans 8:19 says this: "For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That is the new kingdom." where we get our bodies back. For the, uh, our spirits and bodies are renewed. For the, creation will be subje- for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Par- par- God, paradise lost will be paradise regained. God gets it all back. Whatever God did at Easter for us, he has done also for the whole cosmos. Albert Walters said this further in that quote that I said earlier, to conceive of either the fall or Christ's deliverance as encompassing less than the whole creation is to compromise a biblical teaching of the radical nature of the fall and the cosmic scope of redemption. Imagine a world where it no longer works against you, but it works for you. Imagine relationships where they no longer work against you, but they work for you. This is our hope because of Jesus' victory over sin. And without this part of of the gospel, the gospel is not complete. We talk a lot about going to heaven when we die, but we have to include the resurrection of our bodies because without that, the gospel is not complete, and our eternal life in the kingdom as well. This is the chapter which we should never forget to include in our story of the gospel. I want to finish with a, a chapter, p- portion of a chapter of the last battle written by C.S. Lewis. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, these children get to experience life in the in Narnia, which is a heaven, a, a, a symbol of heaven, and they go back and forth between the Shadowlands, our world today, and heaven, Narnia. In the last battle, they actually die on the earth, but they don't know it. All they know is they're in Narnia, and they're not going to be able to come back again. They're a little scared. They're a little little put off. They don't understand what's to come. And so the lion, Aslan, picture of Jesus Christ, explains to them what their life is going to be like in the new kingdom. And the picture of the lion fades away. And he looks a little different, and here's how... The story ends in the last battle by C.S. Lewis. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that he began to, ha- that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I cannot even write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at, last they were begin, in the be, now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Life in the new kingdom. We talked about what we're going to look like. Now you know what we're going to be doing. Not totally, but we're given a pretty doggone good picture. And church, this is why I do what I do. For me, there's nothing more important. And this should be why you do what you do. Preach the gospel to all the world. Take the message of the gospel to all the world. This dark world needs to be lit up so they can get a glimpse of what life in the eternal kingdom is going to be like. And the only way that can happen... It's through you. It's through me. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So like Jesus said, a light is never covered, but it's put on a stand so that it brightens up the entire room. Let's do it. Let's see if we can bring more people into the kingdom of God. I hope we bring a lot more. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for this message I'm grateful for all the information that you give us in scripture that tells us so much about what life will be like with you thank you that you don't leave us to wonder you don't leave us to imagine (laughs) but you fill in the blanks for us quite well I don't know if I'm going to stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall I imagine it's probably going to be the latter but I'm looking forward to the day when I see you When we preach messages and do messages like this, it makes me understand a little better why Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But while we're here, Father, I pray that you'll give us the ability to light this world up for you, to proclaim your gospel until our, our dying day, to remember there's nothing more important in this life than to bring others with us. I pray that you would redeem this world and in this generation, Father, that you would you would create a disruption in the pattern of sin. They would cause a revolution for Jesus Christ. One more time, that people would come to you in droves. The reality of this message hits me even more when I hear the basketball games going across the hallway, going on across the hallway, and think to myself, how many of them have never heard the truth of the gospel? Have never bent their knee to you. Help us to be bold, not obnoxious, courageous, not humble, joyful, not losing time, so that we can make the the best of the time that you've given us to turn this world over to you. So on that day when you see us, it'd be like a bride seeing her husband for the very first time well we look forward to all of this and thank you for your truth in scripture in jesus name we pray